The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business on News Talk. I'm joined by Stephanie Preisner, writer and broadcaster, and Adrian Sweeney, Adrian Sweeney, I should say, director of Paris Court Springs Health Farm, and uh, from the newsroom here at News Talk. And the story that is everywhere today is, of course, RTE and the fact that during the week they managed to lose their uh, chairperson, Shuni Rahalik, and that they find themselves, Adrian, and this is the bit that I think is is fairly extraordinary for a straight board. They find themselves at daggers drawn with their own singular shareholder, that being the minister of their parent department. The minister is saying, I was not sufficiently well informed by RTE. And RTE is saying, yes, you were. I think, you know, the latest saga in this RTE drama that we have, I mean, you you really couldn't script it and we could take it lightheartedly and joke about it. But actually, this is getting really serious now. And we're at an impasse, um, Anton, that, you know, looking at it, it's actually really hard to see where do we go from here because, you know, the the bigger picture at the end of the day and we're, we're here talking about who said what and when and who should have said what and when and who should have stayed off the airwaves. But at the end of the day, we need to step back and look at RTE. It needs reformation. And the three parties involved uh, in that are the minister, um, the DG and the board. And at the moment, they're not working together. And I know that Kevin Backhurst spoke to um, the minister last night and said he would they would work together on this. But the board, certainly, looking at the Irish Times there today, is very, very unhappy with the minister. Her position is now under threat. Where do we go from here? Because if the parties aren't actually speaking together at a basic level, how are we going to get the reform that is so badly needed? There's a lot of this that I don't understand and maybe you have an insight into it that, that I don't have. But what we discovered during the week, I mean, there's a series of it. So if we break it up, the first thing is that the Minister Catherine Martin said that effectively the first that she discovered that Rory Coveney had been given €200,000 of licence fee payers' money was when she read it in the newspapers last weekend. Which is, I think, an indictment of her and her department because Shuni Rahlig has now said, we did tell you. No, they, they told her about the Richard Collins payment. They okay, didn't tell yes, her about the sorry. Rory Coveney payment. So, or rather, Shuni Radley said she apologised to her. The minister says that Shuni Radley apologised on Monday for not having told her about the yes, Rory Okay, I think what's happened here is that RTE has for so long been a law unto itself in the same way, you know, has just been so big and such a leviathan of, a, of an institution that they feel like they don't have to keep the channels between the minister open and that the minister and previous ministers have maybe been like our RT just kind of runs itself that'll keep ticking away I'll focus on the Arts Council and the little bursaries and you know like keeping the fiddlers fiddling and that all of a sudden it's now come to pass and they've now realised that actually RT has for several generations been not running itself properly there's been no corporate governance and you know I think Catherine Martin said last night on primetime or was it last Thursday night? Thursday night on primetime. Actually, I, you know, I didn't or at her press conference, I kind of thought that Shun was doing the right thing. You know, I, I thought that she was. But the bit that I don't understand, I mean, and again, let's let's take it in chunks. If we take to save for a second with the Rory Coveney thing, surely if you're RTE, just out of mercenary self-interest, you say, look. If it comes out in public that this isn't a straight resignation, but rather that we gave €200,000 and the minister is blindsided by it, she will go bananas. Therefore, brief her in advance of that happening. So even regardless of if you think it's a civil, courteous thing to do, it's in your own self-interest, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And, you know, at the time RT was in crisis mode, um, none of these, we don't know all of the details of the payouts um, and that's another debate that we could have as well. I think the, the we've been discussing earlier about the process at which uh, the, the minister's office was informed of of these payouts and, and the resignations or the, the redundancies. And, you know, one of the phone calls is said to have come on October 10th, which was budget day. Now, even at the time, RTE was in absolute crisis mode and everything at that stage should have been recorded. Regardless of, I actually personally feel it should have been written by email. Phone calls should have stopped at that stage. And if phone calls were coming in, they should absolutely have been recorded even if there was nothing to be said inside them and if that had been the case I don't think we'd be here today because we would have been able to sort it out so all of it was mishandled and I think on both sides but I think we're losing sight of the fact that we're, we're everyone is looking for a head here and at the moment it's the minister's head that's on the, on the plate and whether or not she lasts the next 48 hours we don't know but, but benefits if she doesn't last yeah. this is the thing that we are just so obsessed with in Ireland. We need a head. What good has ever happened from a head rolling in the middle of a crisis and then a new head comes in, the headless person goes off and gets a new job, the new person with the new head has this sort of, you know, smugness of like, well, I didn't cause this problem. I'm here to fix it. But you can't really fix a problem that you didn't cause because you don't know the details or there's another inquiry. And it's just like Irish people's obsession with heads rolling is the reason that we constantly have these investigations, these reports, Oireachtas committees and everything. You know, it's just let her stay and fix the problem. Well, can we go to the issue underpinning that then? Because this is another one that I don't understand. We have a situation where in mid-September of last year, the PAC is saying we are investigating how we can get access to the confidential exit package agreements of Geraldine O'Leary and Breda O'Keefe. Two weeks later, RTE enters into another confidential agreement with uh, Richard Collins. At that point, they have a phone call with the uh, minister, where according to the minister, or rather with the secretary general of the department, where at the end of that phone call, the Secretary-General is not made to understand that they have done another confidential deal and another exit package. Nor did they ask the question, though, you know. Which is the second bit of it. How does the Secretary-General not ask and how does RTE not inform? I don't understand that. I think we're all today here left baffled as to how did we get here and how did we get here after the crisis had unfolded. But if they had informed them, what, what would have happened? Like, would the Secretary General have been like, OK, at least we know about it. Thank you for telling us. I believe us. from RTE's perspective, you would call it political top cover. The Minister is aware. She is now an accessory after the fact. We are aligned. She cannot do what she's just done and say, I didn't know about all this. But it makes you wonder, like, qui bono? Like, who benefits from this? Is this just p- stupidity? Like, maybe just ignorance, maybe stress. There was an awful lot going on. I can't see, when I look at who has benefited from this and who is being duplicitous and sneaky and for what reason? I can't see anyone who's benefiting from it. So is it not just... Incompetence? Incompetence. (laughs) Well, Well, that goes to this week because that's the other thing I don't understand. How can the Director General and the Chair go into a meeting with the Minister wherein she asks, was the Board aware of these packages? And the answer that emerges is no, when the actual answer is yes. Mm. And then therein lies the the tension between the two parties. Um, so w- w- 
the board at being different to the oversight, the remunerations committee, I think, which is but like... she's chair so- of both of them. So either way, I mean, she's chairman of the remunerations committee. It was she who was party to it. She, she chaired the committee that did this deal. She's then asked, according to the minister... Was the, the board, board aware were, of the deal? Is it sem- is this semantics? Was like the board weren't aware, well, but this secret little or not secret, but this small subcommittee were aware. But you've asked me whether the board are aware. So but then RT put out a statement saying, "Well, the board was aware. They were informed two weeks later." Well, now we're not really going to get the opportunity to dig down because Shun has resigned. So um, the, the meeting on Friday morning never took place, and we were never headless, headless afforded the opportunity. People don't talk. That's the thing. Like, we don't need any more heads rolling on this. We need people to stay and answer questions so that we can fix it. It does beg the question, who's going to chair the organisation now? Because I can't imagine there is a long line of people baying for the opportunity to be chair it. of RTE. Have but, you thought this through, Stephanie? I mean, no, but I, <laughs> I'd go in with a machete. But I mean, it really, it is actually a serious question to ask in the sense of who literally would step into this mire right now. I mean, and also, you know, there is obviously a cap on what you can pay people. So nothing is going to be enough to, to walk straight into this. And if you do walk straight into it and you do sort it out, well, then your career is secured for life. But um, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't see many people putting their hand up. Well, on the payment front, the RTE chair gets paid what a 15th of what the DG gets paid. I mean, I think the DG is on nudging 300,000. The, the chair is, what, 18 or something, 20,000? Yeah. So, I mean, not many volunteers, unless it's filled from uh, w- within. But um, at that, you know, then there would be a lot of trust issues still remaining between the minister and the new chair as well. So, Which may be on Monday, what minister, you know? Well, the board is really very, exactly, the the board is very unhappy and I don't see a great working relationship going forward. If I were advising everybody now, I'd say, listen, you all need to get into the same room, the DG, the board and the minister. And and you just have to make when an they agreement. are in the same room, they're not say, they're not communicating effectively. But we have to move forward from here. They're not, and they haven't been because there's been a huge culture problem um, in terms of the power that the board has at RTE and the lack of um, transparency on what they do in house. But you know, we have to move forward from here. Like RTE has to be saved. Um, we can't, and I don't see where the next step is, bar literally sitting down in the room. I don't know if anyone else sees a, a clearer path, but they just, we've been pulling hair and that's, and, and pulling hair is going to get us nowhere. I'd so. be more for dictating what happens to RTE rather than not getting them all in the room and having conversations. From and the minister's point of view. Is that from, yeah, like minister goes in and I know that there is like the NUIJ and there are unions involved here, but I would just go in and be like, this is what's happening and you don't get a say in it. And this is the most efficient use of our money, our time, our resources. This is what's happening. And uh, Texas say RT wants to be a closed shop, so give it what they want. Cut it loose. Let it be a closed shop and swing or swim on its own. Another, um, the minister is a disgrace. On what planet did she think a public execution on TV was a good idea? The prime time should have been deferred until after her meeting with the chair. Get rid of that infra- inefficient minister and roll on the election. So this, of course, is last Thursday night where what happens was the minister is due to go on prime time and she is asked by Miriam O'Callaghan as to whether or not she has confidence in the chair, Shuni Rahalig, given that she is asserting that she was provided with inaccurate information by that chair. I, I'm deeply disappointed, as I've said already, Miriam, but I think it's only right that um, Shun, having done such incredible work and Herculean efforts, um, especially since the, the, the crisis emerged in, in June, that she's afforded the opportunity to, to talk to me. So I, I won't comment further on that, but I'm just saying I'm deeply disappointed. 
a lot of people are saying that's the moment where she was dismissed. Does that sound like a I, dismissal to you? I don't no. think it does. I really she's genuinely saying, don't. give her the chance to talk. I, I, I do think it was a misstep going on prime time in the first place. And I think if something had emerged and was in um, the sphere of possibility that there was uh, discussions that needed to be had directly, there was. Uh, there was a meeting called for the following morning. I really think that the misstep here was going on prime time and it should have been deferred. And there are always going to be hard questions that are going to be asked on prime time. So, you know, she should not have put herself in the position that this was going to happen. I don't think it was a forced resignation. It was a voluntary resignation, but it did make the position very, very, very difficult. I do think, in my opinion, um, the best step may have been for Shun to stay on and answer the questions and build a relationship with the minister thereafter. Thanks. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steph. I was just wondering who is advising Catherine Martin because you could see in that interview that she was kind of formulating thoughts on the spot. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, you should never be saying something on television that you haven't said before to someone. Um, and, and, and I hope that there's someone advising her this weekend. Texting Anton, I'm the chairman of a small community radio station. We are run by a mostly volunteer cohort. When we are audited, the auditors go, us, go through us line by line and everything is checked. I cannot believe how we are put through the mill for something we do purely to help our community and the same rigour is not forced on the media organisation in the country for which we are all uh, obliged to, to pay. We're going to be returning to this uh, after 10 o'clock because um, Seamus Doodley, the Secretary of the National Union of Journalists and Larry Bass, former RTE board member and one of the biggest suppliers of independent content to RTE is going to be with us. Before that, something a little bit lighter to take our minds off the whole RTE thing. There is news this week about which are the most popular baby names in the uh, country. I think this is the the male that has the story, the breakdown of what are the, the favourite ones. Adrian, what, what's, it seems to have gone very Irish. Yeah, and I actually think that's a really positive thing. So the top baby names for boys are Jack, Noah, James, Rian and Oshin. And for girls, they're Grace, Fia, Emily, Sophie and Lily. And some of the new entrants that we have are Caelan, Jude, Paddy, which is good to see, uh, Aina and Dahi. And Aina is in there. Aina. Oh, I'll raise, is that for girls or for boys? Because Aina and Ilana is going to be for boys. For boys. Yeah. And then for girls, Lucia, Kyla, and Shiafra. Um, so it is lovely to see a return of the uh, the Irish names coming back in. Would you worry about export? Ah, no. I mean, no, I don't think so. Was it Eamon Darcy, the, the golfer, who was uh, told that he should be careful of the US PGA Tour because if he if he took a swing overseas, he mightn't get parts for it? Is there, is there the same risk if you name a child Fia? Do they end up with Americans calling them Fiad ah, the rest do. of their lives? I mean, it is, a, it is a burden to bear, but... Um... Stephanie's looking horrified. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I have had people ask me how to pronounce AOIFA. Um, in, in the States because they don't know how to do it. And I have... Uh, Look at Saoirse Ronan struggling her way through every late night talk show having to do three minutes of how to pronounce my name before they'll get on with the interview. Yeah, but I, I you know, maybe it's a talking point. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am I'm was more interested in when they, when they publish these, they publish what was popular 50 years ago. So John and Mary ranked first in terms of popularity for boys and girls names in 1973. 1,529 girls born in 1973 were named Mary and 2,431 were named John. Catherine and Margaret were second and third. Um, So as of 22, Mary, Catherine and Margaret declined in popularity but they enjoyed the, but they enjoyed um, 87th, 304th, 174th respectively. And then Emily Grayson. Are are the myths true that depending on what the popular trends are that you get a lot of names recorded? There's a theory that says that 1979 gave us a lot of John Pauls. 
Oh, well, I, yeah. I think so. I'm, and that the late 80s gave us a ton of Kylie's and Jason. I may have named my son after a, a character on Grey's Anatomy, but I didn't really realise that it had seeped into my consciousness. No. <laughs> so you are influenced. Which character? Uh, Jackson. <laughs> Jackson? Jackson, yeah. How do you feel when people shorten him to Jack? They, they, well, the only person that did was my mother because she thought it was too American. So she sent out the, um, the, the notice, the text to the extended family when he was born that his name was Jack. So he's still called Jack sometimes for the recipients. She says, <laughs> it is very American, I'm fair. But if that's the, the if that's the theory, the actual name Jack has been the most popular Irish boy's name for the last five years. So I'm wondering what what media influence has that been like? Who's that Jack named after? Jack has been consistently the most popular for five years. Five years now, yeah. There has been a move towards the kind of more simpler names like, you know, Jack and Emma and you just said Kaylin and Rhea and Fia and all that. They're not. They're new entrants. They're oh, not, the new, they're they're not they're top of the pole. New entrants. They're, they are blow-ins. They are blow-ins. And hopefully they, they kind of, you know, gain a little bit of ground in later years. How popular was Adrienne in the list, did you see? Uh, not very popular. Actually, no, you'd be surprised. There are quite a few Adriennes knocking around. So, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm happy with my name. Adrienne Sweeney, Director of Paris Court Springs Health Farm and, of course, from the newsroom here in News Talk and Stephanie Preisner, writer and broadcaster. Thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show with Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.